0: Welcome to the shortwave report. I'm your host and producer Dan Roberts. The shortwave report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You could use a shortwave radio at the schedule of English language broadcast or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. France 24, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. Chinese President Xi met with Putin in Moscow, saying that their relations are at their highest level in history. Xi had a peace plan for Ukraine, which Putin agreed with, but said that Ukraine shows little desire to end the war. There was no mention of China supplying Russia with weapons. The CEO of TikTok says that they do not share any data with any government, nor is the company controlled by the government. The United Nations released the latest part of the IPCC report on climate change, saying that the point of no return is on our doorstep, NHK Japan.
1: In Moscow, Russian President Vladimir Putin met with the leader he calls a good friend, Chinese President Xi Jinping. The pair ended their talks with a declaration that relations are at their highest level in history. Chinese officials had billed the visit as a peace mission.
2: We are always for peace and dialogue. We are firmly standing on the right side of history.
1: She has put forward a plan that includes a de-escalation and eventually a ceasefire. Putin threw his support behind the proposals.
3: We believe that many points of China's peace plan are in sync with Russian approaches and could form the basis for a peaceful settlement.
1: Putin says Ukrainian leaders and their allies have shown little willingness to end the war he says, the West intends to fight Russia until the last Ukrainian.
2: She indicated willingness to deepen cooperation with Russia. But there is no specific mention of China supplying weapons to the country. U.S. leaders have warned China repeatedly against providing any weapons to Russian troops. Chinese officials are criticizing Americans for doing that for the Ukrainians. Blinken announced another $350 million worth of military aid, including HIMARS and howitzers. He says the U.S. and its allies will stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes. In other news, the CEO of TikTok is getting ready to testify before U.S. Congress as Washington debates banning the video-sharing app, which originates from China. Shouzhu Chu is set to speak Thursday before a U.S. House committee looking into the app's privacy productions. In testimony published ahead of time, Chu says TikTok does not share data with any government. He also insists its parent company, ByteDance, is not controlled by China. Chu shared a video saying this is a pivotal moment for the app and its users.
1: Some politicians have started talking about banning TikTok. Now this could take TikTok away from all 150 million of you.
2: A U.S. ban could have a major impact on TikTok, which says Americans account for a significant chunk of its viewership worldwide. Our planet is heating up fast and climate scientists with the U.N. have issued a final warning. They've released the last part of an assessment years in the making, and it shows the point of no return is on our doorstep.
0: Limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius requires deep, rapid, and sustained reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. In all sectors, emissions will need to be cut by almost half by 2030 if we want a chance to stay at or below 1.5 degrees Celsius.
2: Monday's report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says we could cross the 1.5 degree threshold in the early 2030s. And it says the world was already 1.1 degrees warmer than pre-industrial levels in 2020. Experts at the U.N. body say climate change is unquestionably being driven by humanity. They cite the increasingly frequent extreme weather events wreaking havoc across the globe. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres says the climate time bomb is ticking.
3: The 1.5 degree limit is achievable. But it will take a quantum leap in climate action. This report is a clarion call to massively
2: fast-track climate efforts by every country and every sector and on every time frame. The IPCC report says emissions must start decreasing by 2025 at the latest. And by 2030, they must be about 43% down on levels seen in 2019.
0: Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 9865 or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast at most podcast sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. My health concerns have continued. I am recovering from spinal surgery a week ago, so this shortwave report and maybe a few more will not be as in-depth as I hoped for. Bear with me, please. Next, France 24. More analysis on the meeting between Chinese President Xi and Putin in light of the International Criminal Court arrest warrant posted last week for Putin. It appears that Russia is the junior partner in the relationship, needing computer chips and a market for oil and gas. China has not condemned the invasion of Ukraine, seeing NATO expansion as the root cause. A UK lecturer says that the bonding between Russia and China has been developing for 20 years and that the messages to the global south are important. France 24
4: our top story then on day two of his visit to Russia. China's president has said his country is set to prioritise ties with Russia. Xi Jinping, who began talks with President Vladimir Putin on Monday, called the two nations' great neighbouring powers. While well, Ukraine is uh, unsurprisingly topping the agenda of talks between uh, Xi and Putin, uh, Xi said it also invited Putin to visit China later this year. Well, Putin's saying that he'd held a uh, new round of meaningful and frank talks with his Chinese counterpart. Let's get you some analysis on the, the importance or not of, of this meeting. Uh, I'm joined uh, here at the studio by our International Affairs Editor, Angela Diffley. Angela, if you will, um, talk us through how much this meeting actually matters to, to President Putin, for example.
5: Uh, It matters a great deal, certainly in terms of uh, optics and symbolism. Just last week, eh, an international arrest warrant was put out by the International Criminal Court. He now cannot visit 123 countries in the world because he might be arrested. So this visit from one of the world's two most uh, important leaders is an important morale boost uh, uh, for Putin. And we've already heard that uh, Xi has invited Putin to visit China. China uh, later this year as part of a Belt and Road Initiative forum. So Putin, who has traveled very little since the invasion of Ukraine, is likely to go to that. So it's a big statement uh, that these two are, as we heard before the Ukraine invasion, involved in a no limits uh, partnership. In reality, of course, there are limits. There are very significant limits. Russia is the junior partner in this relationship. It is increasingly dependent on China. Uh, China is supplying it with computer chips and uh, that has been made an enormous difference because after sanctions, its usual supply routes of computer chips uh, were ended. And Russia is supplying China with oil, which powers the enormous Chinese economy. So they are both uh, important uh, to each other. It's... It, it, clear as well that China has not condemned the invasion of Ukraine at all and has suggested that NATO's eastward expansion was something of a provocation. But nevertheless, China has not clearly come out on the side of either and is trying to maintain a neutral position while clearly uh, being keen not to uh, make Putin
4: a pariah. I mean, you spoke, Angela, about symbolism and, and optics. I mean, what in terms of concrete uh, takeaways can we expect from this meeting between a President Xi and Putin?
5: Yeah, they are to discuss uh, this uh, Chinese 12 uh, point peace plan. We heard uh, the early bits of it uh, last month and it was immediately dismissed by the Ukrainians who said that uh, that Xi had not even spoken to Zelensky. Worth noting that after this visit, Xi Jinping is going to talk to Zelensky about this plan. That is important. We don't know much about what's in it, uh, but that will be key to what they are discussing today. What the West is looking for is any sign that China intends to supply weapons to Putin, because until now, that has been a red line. China has not done that. And the West is really watching to see if it begins to supply serious weapons to Putin. That would change the course of the war, that would be major. China might decide just to maintain the status quo. It might choose to supply uh, serious weapons, or it might tell Putin to start rethinking his invasion of Ukraine and where it is leading, and it might be trying to help him draw back. We don't know yet. That is the key thing today. Otherwise, in terms of economics, uh, there are very important economic ties between the the two of them. There is uh, likely to be an announcement on the Power of Siberia 2 gas pipeline, which would reroute Gas, which is going to Europe towards Asia. That has been something that's been worked on for quite a time, and uh, there is some expectation that there might be an announcement. They are very near uh, being clear on how that will work uh, and the logistics of all of that. So it's likely we'll have an announcement on that as well. Otherwise, uh, Putin has said Chinese businesses are very welcome to come to Russia and replace those Western businesses that uh, left uh, after the invasion.
4: All right, Angela Diffley with analysis on day two of those meetings uh, between Xi and uh, President Putin. Thank you. Well, to talk more about Xi Jinping's visit to uh, Russia, uh, Dr. Natasha Kurt is a lecturer in uh, International Peace and Security at King's College uh, London. Natasha, thanks for speaking to us today on France 24. Uh, President Xi and Putin then touting uh, close relations and this kind of strategic vision, if you will. Uh, Walk us through, because it's mutual what's to be gained here. Who stands to gain what?
6: Um, Well, I mean, I just want to point out that this isn't anything new. I mean, you know, this is really um, a relationship that has been developing for more than 20 years now um, based on, you know, uh, the need to secure the joint border um, and so on. So I think we need to be careful not to kind of get too excited. I mean, I think it's just really reconfirming issue areas that have already been um, discussed in the past and reaffirming um, their joint opposition to Western hegemonism, uh, regime regime change, and so on and so forth. I think they're probably also sending a message to the global south, you know, because that's been quite a, a big part of uh, their relations and signalling as part of their relationship as well.
4: I mean, let, let's stay with that, this kind of global message, because uh, China has been criticised perhaps most recently uh, by uh, the US for not condemning uh, Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. I mean, is this visit about underscoring that that condemnation uh, is not likely to come ever?
6: Uh, no, it won't. it won't come because essentially China sees this war as a proxy war between Russia and the West. Um, And in a way, you could argue that Russia is doing China's job for it, essentially battling Western hegemonism, um, as China calls it. On the other hand, of course, um, you know, China favours stability and it needs stability for its economic projects as part of the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, So at the same time, um, China clearly would prefer the war to end. But meanwhile, it can make hay while the sun shines, if you like, in the sense that China can also reap the benefits um, of Russia being under sanctions and you know buy cheap Russian oil, and maybe also come to an agreement on um, you know a new gas pipeline. Some people have talked about that as well. And again, China drives quite a hard bargain, so I think China could um, probably drive down the price of of gas in you
4: know for any new pipeline. All right, Dr. Natasha Kerr, you're a lecturer uh, at King's College London.
0: Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, France24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report, or could assist me by supporting this listener funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal, or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162. Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet. Many, many thanks to everyone who has contributed. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. All international broadcasters had extensive special programming on the 20th anniversary of the U.S. invasion of Iraq. Anti-war protests occurred in many countries on the same day. There were large protests in Portugal over the country's cost-of-living crises, demanding higher wages and pensions. Widespread protests continue in Israel against the far-right reforms being instituted by Netanyahu. Then a viewpoint on Joe Biden greenlighting the Willow Oil Project on the North Slope in Alaska. Radio Havana, Cuba.
3: As the world marks the 20th anniversary of the U.S.'s invasion of Iraq, protests have taken place across the U.S., calling for an end to Washington's involvement in the Ukrainian war. In the nation's capital, people rallied in front of the White House and marched in the streets of Washington, D.C. Claudia de la Cruz from the People's Forum spoke at the rally following the march. Quote, We are here to let the world know that we are committed to a people to shut the war machine down. The planet and humanity depend on us. We've got to fight. We've got to continue to demand an end to NATO, an end to AFRICOM, an end to the Southern Command and the levels of sanctions that the U.S. has all across the globe. We need to continue to make the connections of working class people in the United States to the working class people all around the world. We are also recommitting ourselves to lift up the anti-war movement once again. The Costs of War project estimates up to 306,000 Iraqi civilians have died from direct war-related violence, while hundreds of thousands more Iraqi civilians have died from indirect causes and millions have been displaced. Some estimates put the death toll in Iraq at over 2 million people. In the lead up to the illegal 2003 invasion, tens of millions of people took to the streets in thousands, these anti-war protests around the globe. Two decades after the United States and the United Kingdom invaded Iraq, the majority of Americans have come to the realization that the war, which left over one million people dead and ruined that Arab country, was a mistake. The Axios-Ipsos poll released this week showed that while two-thirds of Americans approved of the military action in 2003, 61% now believe it was the wrong decision. According to the California-based investigative organization Project Censored, on March 20, 2003, the U.S. and Britain invaded Iraq in blatant violation of international law and under the pretext of finding weapons of mass destruction, or WMDs. But no such weapons were ever discovered in Iraq. More than one million Iraqis were killed as a result of the U.S.-led invasion and subsequent occupation of the country. The U.S. war in Iraq cost American taxpayers $1.7 trillion. A damning White House memo has revealed details of the so-called deal in blood forged by former British Prime Minister Tony Blair and U.S. President George W. Bush over the Iraq war. The document, entitled Secret Memorandum for the President, was sent by then U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell, this to President Bush on March 28, 2002, a week before Bush's summit with Blair at his Crawford Ranch in Texas. The sensational memo revealed that Blair had agreed to support the war a year before the invasion even started, while publicly the British Prime Minister was working to find a diplomatic solution to the crisis. The document also disclosed that Blair agreed to act like a spin doctor for Bush and convinced a sceptical public that Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein had WMDs which actually did not exist. In response, Bush would flatter Blair and give the impression that London was not Washington's poodle, but an equal partner in the, quote, special relationship. Powell told Bush that Blair will be with us on the Iraq war and assured the President that the UK will follow our lead in the Middle East. Thousands of Portuguese protesters have poured into the streets of the capital, Lisbon, over the country's cost-of-living crisis, demanding higher wages and pensions. The protesters who gathered in downtown Lisbon over the weekend also surged government intervention to cap soaring food prices which they said are strangling their already tight budgets. Metal walker Paula Gonçalves said, quote, People are protesting against low wages and for more justice for workers. Since the beginning of the year, various social groups in Portugal, including teachers, have been holding regular demonstrations as they feel the pinch of the country's cost of living crisis. Portugal is one of Western Europe's poorest countries, and according to official data, more than 50% of its workers earn less than €1,000, that's $1,067 per month last year, while minimum wage is only €760 per month. Data released by Eurostat shows that the minimum wage in Portugal stood at 681 euros a month in 2023, making it the 12th lowest amongst the 15 European Union countries that have minimum wages. It compares with 726 euros in Poland, 775 euros in Greece, or 798 euros in Spain. The march that was called by the CGTP, a confederation of the country's main trade unions, came a day after a national strike by civil servants in support of higher wages. That action hit garbage collection, schools and hospitals. The CGTP wants the government to implement a package of anti-poverty measures, including price controls on essential commodities and action to limit soaring rents and the cost of property loans. CGTP General Secretary Isabel Camarinha told the crowd that the unions wanted pay rises of at least 10%, which would be above the inflation rate and nothing less than an increase of 100 euros or $108 for all workers. Protesters have taken to the streets of Israeli cities again to reject a plan by the far-right and coalition cabinet led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to reform the regime's court system and curb the Supreme Court's powers. Demonstrators blocked the exit of the Ayalon Highway in Tel Aviv during judicial reform demonstrations on Thursday morning, this according to Israeli media. Walla News site reported that the highway was blocked and southbound. Hundreds of protesters, many waving Israeli flags, jumped over barricades to get on the highway. They were, however, pulled away by police, some of them mounted on horses. Tel Aviv University students also placed barbed wire fences at the entrance to the university. This according to a report by the student protest organizers. Quote, we are putting up a barricade to protect freedom of speech and freedom of the press. The organizers told the media, quote, against the unbridled power that the administration intends to acquire for it. Itself in this wave of legislation. Elsewhere, in the ultra-Orthodox city of Banai Barak, protesters flocked into the streets and they tried to erect a mock military recruit station, saying now it is time for ultra-Orthodox Jews to go into the army and share their burden. At the Haifa port, a number of protesters on boats, including former Navy men, blocked entry for commercial ships. The Navy will not sail into a dictatorship, Re- signs hung on the Na- Israel Navy's reservist boats. Protest organizers say there will be several centers of protest in the northern, southern, and central parts of the Israeli-occupied territories. There will also be demonstrations in front of various embassies. The controversial legal reforms serve as the centerpiece of the policies of the Netanyahu-led cabinet, which he cobbled together late last year by wooing ultra-Orthodox and hard-right parties. They seek to enfeeble the regime's Supreme Court by robbing it of the power to strike down either the cabinet or the legislature's decision.
7: Controversy has erupted right after the American president, Joe Biden, gave the green light to the criticized Willow Project, one of the largest oil and gas development plants in the wildlife-rich state of Alaska. Another electoral promise of the current White House tenant who had assured that his government would not allow new oil and gas drilling in federal lands has been left behind. Critics say it is too late in the climate crisis to approve projects like this that directly undermine the new clean economy that the Biden administration pledged to deliver. The battle to implement this plan has been going on for years now. It was initially approved in October 2020 by the administration of now former president Donald Trump, but in 2021 it was halted by a judge for further review by authorities in the face of numerous challenges. Supporters of Biden's decision claim that it will create thousands of jobs and contribute to U.S. energy independence, but many wonder how much it will cost to the people and animals in the area. But the truth is that the battle continues against the project, which will be developed on the north slope of the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska, on public government lands and about 200 miles north of the arctic one of the least explored places in the united states so far some four million signatures have been collected online in opposition to willow project which has been described as a carbon bomb while one million letters have been sent to federal authorities Environmental groups have also filed a lawsuit to stop oil drilling in the area, which will endanger communities and wildlife already threatened by climate change. Environmental activists estimate that more than 260 million metric tons of greenhouse gases will be produced, or the equivalent of 56 million vehicles operating for one year. Alaska is home to polar bears, hundreds of thousands of migratory birds, Caribou and moss oxen, which are a vital subsistence resource for the state's native communities. In an attempt to counter the strong opposition to the approval of the Willow Project, the Biden administration has banned oil and gas development in the U.S. Arctic Ocean, a measure described as insufficient by environmental advocates who consider that Alaska is the big loser, as this plan will have devastating consequences. Once again, the planet loses out to political and economic interests. The climate crisis is a reality that cannot be ignored, and oil and gas exploration will only aggravate the great problem facing all of humanity.
0: Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at RadioHC.cu, though there's no podcast up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6,000, 60 or 61.65. On their website, radiohc.cu, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Daylight Saving Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts. Get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and EU prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal, there's a link at my website along with the podcast link, and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.